This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the LLB Birding Festival held May 24th through May 26th, 2019 in Freeport, Maine. Birders are flocking to Freeport to experience a weekend filled with events, outings, and activities for birders of all skill levels, interests, and ages. Join free outings to the best birdwatching spots in Freeport to spot warblers, waders, and waterfowl. Sign up for amazing trips on the water to Casco Bay and Monhegan Island, or stick around the LL Bean campus for free lectures, clinics, and family-friendly activities. For more information, visit llbean.com slash birding. Thanks, everybody. Hello and welcome to the very first live episode of the American Birding Podcast. We're at Mommy Bay Lodge. Here at the biggest week in American birding. Welcome to you all. Thank you for coming out. I am Nate Swick. If you are a regular listener to the American Birding Podcast, you know that, uh, you know me. Uh, if you are not a listener, if you don't know the American Birding Podcast, I am that guy that's not Jeff Gordon. Uh, think of me as Jeff Gordon in formative plumage. Yeah. It's a molt joke. That's how it's going to be tonight, folks. Well, it's great to be back at the biggest week in American Birding. Uh, are any of you first-time visitors here? We have any first-time visitors? Good. We have a few. Excellent. Uh, this is my third time here. I love coming up. I always, they always schedule me to help with field trips and workshops. I'm going to uh, Point, Point Mui, Point Mui, Point Mui tomorrow. I have an eBird workshop the next day. I'm book solid. I, I barely have time to get down to the boardwalk and complain about how crowded it is. <laughs> it's a favorite thing. Uh, but it is such an honor to play a role here at this amazing event. And uh, so fortuitous that the 50th anniversary of the ABA and the 10th anniversary of the biggest week in American birding lined up. It was not planned, shockingly enough, but it's, it's wonderful to pay tribute to these two stalwarts of the North American birding scene at the same time, so thank you for coming. Uh, even if it was just for the cake, we will take what we can get. So we have a really amazing show lined up for you today, uh, and to talk about the, we're going to talk a little bit about the birding and, and the birding community and what we're, what we're, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, I'm excited to share it with you all, and that is all after this week's Rare Birds. So I'm stepping away from the live broadcast to do the rare bird focus, partly because I made a couple mistakes in the live show, and partly because there are a couple birds that were seen in the interim that I wanted to add. So here we go. Everyone knows about Attu, the so far west that's actually East Island in the Aleutian chain. We don't hear so much about Shamia, which is just in from Attu, and it's actually even harder to access than Attu unless you're one of the lucky or maybe unlucky few stationed on the U.S. Air Force weather station that takes up the entire island. Fortunately for birders, one of the servicemen stationed there this spring is a birder, and he has been turning up some incredible birds, starting with a stellar sea eagle, the first in the ABA area since 2015 that was seen last week. Then a few days ago, he really hit the jackpot with a first ABA area record of Paula's goal. This is also known as Greater Black-Headed Goal. It's really one of the more stunning members of that mostly simple plumaged family. So imagine a herring goal with a black head. It is a really incredible bird, and it was on the same checklist as two Eurasian coots, of which there are only a few records in the ABA from both sides of the continent. Pretty extraordinary. That wasn't the only good bird seen in Alaska in the period a falcated duck turned up in Anchorage, where it was seen by many birders. It's always nice when a bird as stunning as that one is seen by a lot of people. And we have a couple first records to report, the most notable of which was a common green shank on Long Island, New York. This is only the third record for the lower 48. Most ABA records of this widespread old world shorebird come from Atlantic Canada and Western Alaska. Interestingly enough, this spot, this very same patch of wet 
swampy grass that hosted this green shank also hosted a wood sandpiper a couple years ago. It's one of those weird birding coincidences. Oklahoma had a first record this week, a common black hawk seen in Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge in Comanche County. Also, Texas had a first, which is always notable for the state with the second highest bird list in the AVA area. A black turnstone was seen in Port Arthur. That is a first record for the whole of the Gulf of Mexico, as far as I can tell. And Illinois also had a state first, a Lewis's woodpecker, a species many Illinois birders saw as long overdue because of the many records of this western species, even to the east of Illinois. And for a little local flavor, Ohio's fourth record of Townsend's Warbler was seen in the latter days of the Biggest Week Festival there at the Festival HQ at Mommy Bay. It was found by a young birder on his 16th birthday, which precipitated a huge exodus of birders out of the lodge and over to the Mommy Boardwalk. That is some good birding luck. I am just glad it wasn't reported during our live show. Otherwise, we would have lost all of our audience. That is just a little bit of the rarity landscape for the last couple weeks or so. So for all your rarity needs, check out the ABA blog on Friday mornings. Or you can join our rarity Facebook group at facebook.group slash ABA rare. Or you can follow us on Twitter hey, at ABA Bird Alert. Now, back to the live show. This is a song I wrote after a great birding afternoon in the Arboretum in Ann Arbor. Kingfisher fishing in the morning by the river Wax wings dancing everywhere Red tails rising in the currents off the warm wind How I wish I was up there There's a part of me that knows where the herons go Feels the swoop as swallows glide But a bird's eye view somewhere I've yet to be To see the world side from on high Where the ravens play On a perfect day Hear the whisper wind Know the secret say If Aladdin were to lose his lucky lamp to me, there'd be no need to decide. Forget the first two if my wishes are to number three. I've only one want, and that's to fly. 
where the ravens play on a perfect day hear the whisper wind know the secret say David. All right, we're back. All right, before we get started on this panel discussion, let's talk a little bit more about the reason we are all here. The biggest week in American birding is in its amazing 10th year as the place to be in early May, and a big part of that is the Black Swamp Bird Observatory team who continue to do an amazing job hosting this party. Uh, please welcome BSBO's Outreach Director and the coordinator of the festival, Jason Garrard. Thanks for joining me. Um, Absolutely. How long have you been involved in the Biggest Week? This is my third year as well. Third year. Um, so one of the things that I, I love about this festival is that it, it really feels like a place that you know, people come back to every yes, year. Absolutely. Um, and the reason for that is, is more than just the birds. It is, um, you know, they're often spectacular, though. That definitely helps. So how do you keep this festival feeling so fresh year after year after year after year? Well, I, I can't speak for year after year after year, but at <laughs> year least after three. Year after year. So three, three, three of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we do have a great diversity of people who come here. You know, I've, I've guided in uh, Space Coast for seven years while we mm -hmm. lived in Florida, lived in Cape May, so it was experience with um, Cape May Fall Festival. And Biggest Week just has a different feel all about it oh, all totally, together. Yeah. We have a, a high number of returning people who come year after year. Of course, the, the quality of birding up here is the main reason. I think most people come back, but I like to think that we have a, a significant part of that as well with what we're doing. Um, you know, for this year, we we expanded some field trips. We tried to do some new things. Like last year, we added the Plumbrook field trip. Mm. Um, that's a NASA station, for those of you who don't know. So nobody gets out there to go birding. So that was that was a, a major uh, benefit to the last year. Um, you know, just trying to keep uh, adding new things. You know, we've got the bird trivia uh, that I started last year. Um, you know, so you know, we do the tattoo contest, the mm -hmm. karaoke. So some things that just are outside of the norm for what many birding festivals do, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's so much of a, what it feels like to me, it feels like a, a music festival. It feels like a big, like traveling road show with, uh, you know, two weekends, a whole weekend between all these birds, people kind of intersecting with these migratory birds. And that is part of what makes it you know, so special. But there's, I mean, that it's, it's all the other events, all the extra events yeah. that keep, that you know, keep people like stuff like this and uh, stuff like the birder prom yep. and the trivia and all that stuff. There's, there's so many things for birders uh, to do here. It's, it, it's really spectacular and you guys deserve a ton of credit for, for making it such a fun, a fun well, event. You, yeah. It's definitely a labor of love. It's a, yeah. a lot of, a lot of hours. Um, but yeah, it's fun, you know, and, and, and I have fun doing that kind of stuff, you know, making mm -hmm. the bird trivia. Um, I'm not going to lie. There was many, um, two, three <laughs> morning, uh, in the morning time frame where I was working on that. Uh, thus the reason I, one of the answers was American woocock instead of American <laughs> woodcock. Um, should really be a proposal to the AOS. <laughs> really get on that. Um, so yeah, but it's, you know, I, I love seeing the people come out and, and all the smiles on everybody's face. Obviously the reason we love birds is because they, they give us joy. They give us, mm -hmm. um, something to, uh, to be happy about. 
Um, so, but to see that and to know that I had a, a significant portion of making that happen for people, obviously I can't control the birds, you know, but, uh, other things, it just, it, it, it makes, makes my job, um, makes me feel like I, I have a lot more purpose with my job, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, so many of the birders are coming from elsewhere in the Eastern United States where the birds are you know, somewhat familiar. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like you're too often, Kirtland's warblers aside, yeah. you're not seeing too many birds that you don't see at home, but everyone comes here because the community that is built around this, around this festival is so spectacular. Um, can you, is that intentional or did that just sort of come around organically? I think it probably comes around organically. I mean, let's face it, birders are social people, you know, I counted Cox and Cape May for a number of years and that was the place to be. You stand on the platform and even when nothing's happened and even, even when there's a lot happening, people are just chit-chatting and sometimes yeah. not paying very much attention to what's overhead sometimes. Um, and I think there's that camaraderie on the boardwalk. I know every, the mm -hmm. boardwalk gets a bad rap and everybody, oh, that's so, <laughs> so you know, compact. It's not and that bad. I, I love it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm not going to lie. It's hard to get through, but I love it because there's that many people who are excited about birds who that's love to come energy. here and see yeah. birds. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's, what, that's the reason we do this is to get people excited about birds. And the biggest week, probably more than any other um, festival, it, you know, as much as I love them, um, has done more for getting people to understand that um, money in the pockets of communities mm -hmm. um, translates into a, additional conservation and getting more people involved and that translates into even more. It's a, it's a exponential growth of things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we get more people interested, they spend more money. You know, we have, have 52 countries come yeah, throughout the 10 years, six of the seven continents. Um, so, you know, we get Australia is the one out, right? A lot of Antarctica birders coming. Oh, uh, you know, I, I always say during my programs, if anybody <laughs> knows somebody who lives in Antarctica, <laughs> yeah. please have them register. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's a great way to get, um, to get a lot more conservation work done. Yeah. So the BSBO is a sort of a, it's a family affair with you. You know, you, you work for it, it your wife works it, for it as well. It like your children are sort of steeped in this birding culture. Um, <laughs> what is it like raising your kids in the middle of all this? Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my kids are great. My family's great. I have to, you know, give a huge shout out to uh, Laura and Althea and Harlan. Um, they, they put up, <laughs> they put up with a lot of long hours. It's very difficult. I'll be hundred percent honest, the kids at this time of the festival. And <laughs> sure. let's face it, we are at the end of most festivals right now. Yeah. Um, and we still have another, what, six days to go. Yeah. So we've got a whole nother festival time frame. Um, they really want more time from mommy and daddy, um, and even more so from daddy. Um, so it's difficult, but, um, I mean, I, I like to think that our family deals with it because we know the end goal is, is, is justified, you know, the ends justifies the means, I guess. Um, you know, we, tr we do our best to try to raise our kids outside and, and enjoying nature as much as we can. They, they fight us on the birds a little bit more say, than I would like. Are they into birds or do um, they see them as the things that take their parents away? Uh, well, you know, Althea, she's funny. She, she, likes to, um, <laughs> she likes to use it against me sometimes when she's mad at me. She's like, I don't like birds. Um, but I know she really does because she really, you know, we have a robin's nest outside. We have a big um, uh, sunroom uh, as a, on the house we're renting and there's a robin's nest in a tree. And just, I think it was yesterday, um, they came to me, the robin's nest, they, they, they hatch. The mommy and daddy oh, were bringing cool. eggs yeah. or bringing, bringing food to the chicks. Um, so, you know, they, I, I know they love it. Harlan, Harlan really is in it a little bit more than, than Althea, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, I've always said as long as they enjoy growing up or being outside um, yeah. and doing whatever, that's, that's what it means. If, yeah, they, if, if I can go look at a Kirtland's Warbler with them one day um, and they get as much joy out of it as me, fantastic. If not, as long as they like to 
VR. That's great. Yeah. So last, um, if you're giving advice to a birder who has never been a part of this festival before, what should they absolutely not miss? Everything. It's so <laughs> tough. I mean, we have so many different things. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's, you know, 275-ish, um, you know, activities that you can t take part in, whether it's a van trip or a you drive we lead. Um, somebody who's, who's wanting to come in and try to get a good sense of everything. Certainly the van trips are good, but you drive we lead trips are really mm -hmm. popular because you get to a few of the different uh, metro parks in the area and you get to kind of see um you know what the habitat's all about obviously mcgee marsh you, you go to mcgee marsh but yeah. there are many places that are just as good as mcgee marsh um that aren't as heavily burdened yeah um you know so it's uh you know just try to spend as much time as you can here that's really the the big thing all right yeah well uh jason gerard is the biggest week's festival director congrats on an amazing <laughs> 10th anniversary and uh, thanks for chatting with me thank you very much i appreciate yeah, you having right. me happy 50th right. of the aba thank you, thank you. Are we going to get another song? Let's do it. David Moser again and uh, Wendy Clark will be joining them. Please welcome. This song is not about birds. It's about finding the love of your life.
I'm ready to believe in something new After too many years of singing the blues Poetry, prose, and metaphors are rising And I'm just as foolish as these songs I sing I want to tell the world what's happening to me And it feels like it's finally my time The planets have aligned And all of these signs are pointing to you So tell me what you're gonna do Cause it's finally
Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, David. All right. So I, I'm now excited to welcome to the stage birders who I think have some interesting things to say about our community and how it's changed over the decades and where it is, perhaps where it should be going. So in 2018, she and her husband traveled across the continent in a VW Westphalia in a new type of big year that captivated all of us following along on social media. Please welcome to the stage, Eliana Ardila Ardila. She is a former ABA Young Birder of the Year, currently the Director of Public Relations of the American Bird Conservancy and a SciComm superstar on Twitter. Please welcome Jordan Rudder. And last, he is the artist and author of the field guide most commonly on the shelves, in the pockets, and tossed into the car trunks of North America's birders. He is David Sibley. Welcome. Thank you all for agreeing to be the guinea pigs in this live experiment. And it is a live experiment, as we found out. <laughs> We're attempting. Uh, so thank, thank you all for coming on. Um, I, I want to start with something easy. Um, where and how did you all first engage with the ABA? You want to start, Olian? Yes, actually, um, I met Jeff and Liz Gordon uh, last year and at a Cape May Birding Festival. And uh, it was an amazing experience meeting them there. And then when we were doing the our big year, they invited us to come to the headquarters in Delaware. And that was an incredible experience. And I fell in love with the ABA. And now I feel like I'm part of the ABA family. Yeah. Yay. And it's so exciting to be back <laughs> at here at the podcast. That's for, right. For, for a second is a time. former guest. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I have been birding since I can remember, um, literally since I was a toddler. So I don't remember uh, a, a spark moment with the ABA, but I definitely know that the young birder community was really where I started to get hooked in. Um, all of the, the newsletters, the print newsletters that we yeah. used to get, um, and the, the um, community boards online once that started happening. Um, but for me, I guess the real concrete moment when I was an par uh, active participant personally, because my family is a birder, uh, birder family, um, was when I was a young birder of the year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, and then it just went from there. Super. Um, well, I just realized as I was sitting here that that um, um, I started keeping a life list in 1969, the same year the American <laughs> Birding right. Association was started. So my birding career, my, my birding life is also 50 years old this oh, year. Oh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> it's very helpful for us to keep, that, uh, keep it orderly for you. Just yeah, the age thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, there's probably a few other people in this room who remember the birding inserts in Birding Magazine. Yeah. How many show of hands? Um, so the birding inserts, for those who um, don't know about them, were um, perforated pages in the middle of each issue of Birding Magazine that you could tear out. And each one had directions to a specific bird, like red cockaded woodpecker or bared sparrow. And in those early days, like 1971, 72, 73, these were 
like hand-drawn maps. Yeah, I remember that. I've seen those old episodes. With the little X where you find the bird. (laughs) And it was just like a treasure map. (laughs) And you'd follow the directions like down County Road 2322 till you cross the third cattle guard, stop at the barbed wire fence, walk 200 yards into the field and look to your left and you'll find the Baird Sparrow, and it worked. <laughs> and that, that was my introduction to the ABA. Yeah, oh, wow. So you all probably had uh, pivotal people who were important in your development as birders. Were there any individuals that you recall as being really important to your journey as a birder? Oh, we can start back there. down there. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well... You know, obviously my father, <laughs> um, being an ornithologist, and he introduced me to lots of other people. Um, in Connecticut, there was a, um, a birder named Noble Proctor who recently passed away, who was just incredibly influential, really charismatic. Um, he taught at Southern Connecticut State University and introduced a lot of people, a lot of professional ornithologists now were his students, um, just a tremendous... So I met him in 1970, not long after I had started birding, and he was a a huge influence on me. Hmm. Um, And uh, also involved in a lot of the early Attu trips. Yeah. um, And involved in the ABA through that. Yeah, do you want to go, Jordan? Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I will mention my father as well. Long story short, part of my how I got into birding story was my dad started leading bird walks for a wild bird center and I was young enough that I got basically thrown in the baby backpack and taken along so (laughs) I have to definitely say my dad Um, and I also would be horrible for not mentioning a very important person both in my life but also here at the biggest week Uh, Mark Garland uh, was a huge (laughs) Um, yeah when I uh, when I was 12 I took uh, uh, with him and Pete Dunn, a uh, shorebird workshop in, in uh, the Cape May area. And it was this huge ordeal because I was the only kid, them, I was only 12, and we had to double check, triple check, and make sure that it was okay for this, this kid to come along on this all-day weekend <laughs> workshop and reassure them. And I went, and um, Mark and I just really connected in terms of this mentoring that you're asking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it really led into, I knew him from before, just how we all know birders in the community, but, you know, we really followed up and he made all of these other connections for me and really has, he, he's a very dear friend. And like I said, he's here at the biggest week. So yeah, I definitely need to mention him. <laughs> for me, I have to say it has to be my husband now, uh, Mark Kramer. He introduced me into birding. 13 years ago, and uh, now I'm completely hooked. So whenever in the morning he doesn't want to get up to go birding, I'm like, Mark, remember who got me into birding? It was you. <laughs> and I have to remind him. I like to remind him of this almost every day. Remember who has seen more species than you? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was my inspiration. And I uh, remember in the beginning him trying to teach me the difference between the cattle egret and the and the great uh, egret and all the, all the, the white herons. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, Mark, I'm never going to get this. But now I, I know how to tell a little blue heron apart. Oh, very good. <laughs> Immature. 
So we're just going to talk about mentorship as a very important aspect of, of you know, learning to be a birder. Um, but now, nowadays, you know, a lot of us grew up in a time when pre-internet, when, you know, mentorship was sort of the only way to learn how to be a birder. Um, and now there are so many ways to get involved in the birding community. Uh, are there, I, I don't want to say that that mentorship can be skipped, but are there other ways to sort of accomplish the same goal through people, through an online community, through, through communities that are different than the ones that we grew up in? Oh, definitely. I, I think there is still mentorship through the using social media. Mm -hmm. I think social media has been a, a huge help and uh, everybody motivating each other. Last year, I know that so many he people helped us out and in our little adventure and just were, th were there for us. And if we weren't for social media and have that connection through people because of the birds, we mm -hmm. would have not seen all the birds that we got to see. So there's still mentorship. It's just it's, it's, it's transmitted in a different way by yeah, using the, so the social media. Mm -hmm. I would almost say that this is going to sound odd, probably, but it can be more personalized now. You can find exactly what you want or need for your skill level, mm -hmm. when you want it, where you want it. Um, the, the personal mentors, even from, from my life, were amazing, but I was so reliant on when they were available or when I got to see them. There were times when just coming back to Mark Garland, I wouldn't see him for a year right. or more. Um, where now it's like, oh, you're not available? Okay, I can ha I can go to the next person or the next person, yeah. or I know this person's really good with shorebirds and that person's really good with warblers. You know, you have a, a much larger network um, and with social media, you can quickly put out a post asking questions and get a whole bunch of responses instead of being reliant on one person. So. Uh, again, there's nothing that beats one-on-one uh, -on -one face to face communication, but I think you definitely can say, I'm a new birder and I need tons of new resources, or I'm a really experienced birder and I want to... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think it's just, uh, it's different. Yeah, there's um, David. You talked about the the pullout, the perforated pages that are in the birding. So much of that stuff is is online now. I mean, there's so it is almost so much easier. You know, the the perforated pages in birding would have three or four species per yeah. per ep episode, but now you can go to for issue. You can go to eBird and you can get almost every yeah. species of bird in the world. Has that changed the way that we interact with birds? Do you think, or is it more or less the same? Oh, I think absolutely. It's uh it's a whole new world of yeah. birding now. It's just it, so many aspects of it have changed. And like something like Baird Sparrow, there, will, there would be one place yeah. through the 1970s, I think yeah. every birder in the went U.S. To the went to yeah. one place to see Baird Sparrow. And uh, now you can look at eBird maps and pick your spot. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I can imagine I'm not, you know, I'm not connected to that sort of world, but I can imagine growing up with all the resources that are available now, it must be just fantastic for yeah. young birders now. But do you think that, you, that birders now might miss out on some of the mentorship aspects if they are not able to plug into a birding club like the way that maybe you did when you were younger? Um, I think 
You know, I, I was really connected to the New Haven Bird Club in mm -hmm. Connecticut, and before that, for a couple of years, Point Reyes Bird Observatory, where there were birders. So I had no, no shortage of birders mm -hmm. to interact with, and um, many took on a sort of mentoring role. Yeah. Um, it was... I think a lot harder for young birders who didn't have an ornithologist for a father. It helps in <laughs> yeah. those days. But I think I I can imagine, like Jordan saying it, it must be a lot easier now. I think it, that has just gotten better. That you can yeah. connect with so many different people and find someone who is going out birding yeah. on whatever time, whatever place you're available, and um, and actually get out in the field with someone who can teach you something yeah um, it certainly feels like some ways that, that birding is is more popular than it's ever been partly because of the the the, the social media access um you know people are coming to birder birding in ways that are sort of different um one of the things that i find most interesting about the way that particularly eliana and, and jordan you use social media is because um you're you are reaching people who maybe don't know about these these bird clubs or, or maybe you know they have young families and they don't have the time or they don't feel comfortable in those places or they're from communities that have traditionally not been an audience for those. Um, is it gratifying to see so many people from so many different backgrounds sort of finding birding in, in these ways? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, um, so many of us have said some variation of the fact that birds bring us together, mm -hmm. that birds don't observe political boundaries, that birds you know, unite the world. Again, so many variations. And what you just said is amplifying that. It's, mm -hmm. it's the epitome of all of those things that we say because the more people and the more variety of people that are in birding show that it's truly the birds that are bringing us together. Mm -hmm. So it's wonderful. Yeah, it's almost as if the, the mentorship, there, there are certainly individuals that have that can be, you know, really great mentors. It's almost like the community itself becomes a mentor, like on the whole, rather than, than the individual person. Do you think that people miss out on anything by going that route, or is it just another way to kind of reach the same goal? That's a really good question, and I think it is just a different route. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is so I have been fortunate enough to co-lead Camp Colorado, which is one of the ABA camps. And uh, one of the campers that I had one year um, felt very isolated. They felt like they lived in a community where they were the only birder. They didn't have support. Uh, but because of social media, they were able to meet friends, know the other campers ahead of time, um, they met me, and now I talk to them regularly. Um, so it's it's a way to just expand and give more options. It's all about options, right? Um, and and meeting people where they're at, and being available and accessible. And I think that's where it's just so wonderful. Um, again, that birds are bringing us together in the way that works for you. I think Jordan said it so perfectly. I think the, the birds bring us together, and because of the birds, we all make so many amazing friendships, and we meet so many people, and the birds have taken us to so many places that I personally ne never would have never gone there if it weren't because of the birds. So I think the birds are just absolutely amazing. I think we should give an applause to the birds, because <laughs> no, they are. There's no better place to do it than here. There's yeah. plenty of them around. No. 
all of, all of us are here because of the birds and we would have never have met each other and like I said like I feel part of the ABA family and I would have never have met any of you because of if it weren't because of the birds it's so it's so inspiring and inspiring and through social media it has brought us together social media has helped in so many ways and to me just like Mark motivated me to to get out there and learn about the birds and, and enjoy nature I have um, I started a, a females birding group in, in South Florida where I live and it just I've had so many females that is their first time ever birding and now they come to every single walk and it's so amazing and it just makes me so happy to see them there and when they want to learn more and when they email me asking me hey Eliana I have this bird in my yard let's idea together can you help me out so I think we all help each other and we all want to get better and do more for the birds for the environment and and try to make the world a little bit better I think yeah. so yeah I have a question for you uh David as well. Um, so you, your your book is obviously on the shelves. But a ton of uh, all of us, mostly all of us here have a copy of the Sibley Guide. You you also have the the app that have you found that people have been able to engage with birds differently uh, using their phones, using your guide on the app uh, compared to how they do in with the with the traditional field guide, the print bound field guide. Oh, that's a good question. I I don't see that. I don't. I haven't seen that. But I don't have a lot of uh, firsthand experience so far. My my um, my sense is that most people own both the book and the app, yeah, and they well, use they use both <laughs> kind of interchangeably. And also, I would say that the app is still pretty much a book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm coming. I've been saying this for years. I'm coming from a book background. Mm -hmm. It is the it is a book. It's been turned into an app. The real birding app of the future is going to be created by someone who's growing up with apps yeah. now. Yeah. I can't even begin to think the way that I should to create a proper birding app that mm -hmm. will really revolutionize birding apps. Yeah. I yeah. think it's still just a book. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how, what that would even look like. Because I, I get the sense it would yeah. look like something completely different than yeah. what, what we see now. Maybe something closer to what you know, Cornell's Merlin is or something like that. Yeah, and well, that's also an interesting question about the future of birding that often mm -hmm. comes up. That something like that is—it's an assistant, a birding, right. a bird identification assistant. And does that—is that what you want, or is <laughs> yeah. that, does that take some of the fun out of it's identifying tr it's tr birds? It's true. Um, or yeah, do you, do you find that people? You're you're online a lot. Do you do you find that people come at identification of birds differently? from online as opposed to the way we probably do, you know, picking I, through a field guide. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts right uh -oh. now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so one of the things that I'm thinking about right now are, um, if you're not on Twitter, there are a ton of Twitter games mm -hmm. that are really popular. And um, there are people that actually will post uh, tricky bird ID, yeah. hashtag tricky bird ID. That's Jason Ward, who's one Jason, of the yep, I, well, I didn't want America. <laughs> yeah, he was yep. recently a guest on the podcast. And he's, he'll be here later this week. If you want yeah, to so Jason Ward's hashtag tricky bird ID. So uh, the whole premise, if you're not familiar, is that a tricky bird picture, a, bird, a picture of a bird that is hard to identify um, to some, just to, you know, some people might might find it easy, but for some, um, and then you you just automatically reply with your guess. 
right? And then after some time, uh, the answer will be shared. And some people are using this as a way to test their knowledge to become better birders. Um, and some people just are using it as an exposure mechanism of saying, I, you know, I saw this blackbird fly over in the city, and that's what it looked like to me, and, and then ask questions from that. Um, there are other, there are so many games I could, could reference, um, but these games are becoming really popular. Um, and so I think that the Merlin app is a way that we could potentially draw people in mm -hmm. by making it much more of a daily experience of saying, I personally live in downtown Washington, D.C., and so I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm around people that are seeing city birds compared to folks that may be in the country or in rural areas and have different birds and experiences. Um, the other thing that was going through my head when you were, when you were talking was um, Ken Kaufman got interviewed in the late 90s, and I need to look up what interview this was so I can actually reference it more directly. Um, but one of the questions was, like, if you were president or if you got all of the power in the world for one day, what would you do? And he, he, I don't know if he would remember that he answered this, but I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and his answer was for every single person to know 20 species in their backyard, just 20 in their backyard, every, every, everyone. Achievable and I, goal. And Absolutely. I, yes, it was. It's so achievable. And it has stuck with me because to think that he didn't say something bigger or grander or money-oriented or anything like that, he said for everyone to know 20 species in their backyard, to think of the domino effect that that could have, the, to know how, how wise Ken is for saying that, um, just makes me think, again, coming back to the, to the question of, you know, an app, a birding app, a, a field guide, that could be so powerful mm -hmm. because it's it's not just a spark bird, but it's it's that that seed it's of like knowledge. It's like a spark experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's um, you know, there's no gatekeeping to that. It's mm -hmm. available. It's accessible. It's it's free for people. It's right there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of where where I think birding has so much potential mm -hmm. moving forward. Thank you. Uh, I like I like what you said about the what Ken Kaufman had said about the, the the twenty birds. I think if we outside of us here, if out there people fell in love with twenty birds, can you imagine the passion and how many more species we will save? That would be absolutely incredible. So even with one, like we can start with one species, and and if we want to save the next one and the next one. I know because of the birds, I have done a lot of other crazy things, thanks to them. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, but I think going back to your question about the, the app and, and the book, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle because of my age. I'm, I'm in my uh, late 30s. And so I still love my books, but I also love the app. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is good about the app, it's that when you're in the, in, in the field, and for us that we were traveling in this tiny vehicle, 78 Volkswagen bus, 
we were limited in space. Mm -hmm. So we, for us, the app helped us out a lot. But when I got home, I got my, my Sibley uh, books, which I have like, I think seven of them. You have signed them for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I write there when I saw it, where I saw it. So even though I still do eBird, I still like to see when I mm -hmm. flip to the pages and see what birds have I seen and what birds should I try to go out there and, and, and find. So it's, there's so those books help. There's an experience with flipping through a book and just yes. like kind of absentmindedly looking at the birds and kind of preparing yourself for what yeah. you might see that is that the app can't replicate. And so I agree. That, that feeling of having of, that book in your hands yeah. and just flipping, I'm, like you said, through the pages. I have both and I use them completely differently. Yeah. yeah. I'm with so, you. Yeah. Are we the same age? <laughs> yeah, about, probably. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the, the first 50 years of the ABA were sort of about, you know, finding birds and learning how to identify them and kind of tackling these difficult identification questions. Uh, the next 50 years, I like to think, is sort of about, this is something that Jeff was saying earlier, it's sort of about recruiting birders and, and bringing more people into our community. How can the birding community that exists now be better at that? I think we're doing already a lot of things uh, to, to be better. One thing that I have personally noticed in just 13 years of birding is that we are seeing a lot more younger people doing it. Absolutely. A lot more females, which makes me so, so happy because I know 13 years ago, I felt like I was the youngest one. And, and I wasn't even that young, but I was the youngest one and I was like usually the only female in, in a group. So it's just so nice to see so much, many more females out there and younger people doing it. And now I feel like the old one. I remember yesterday I was guiding a group and I'm like, oh, the kid. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's, he's in college. He's, and I'm calling him the kid, you know? Yeah, I was thinking but, about uh, that with, uh, with regards to, to Jordan and like reaching the science common, like the online Twitter birding communities. Like I've, I've tried to get in there, but I am too old now. I no, it's like, what's going on? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so I think it is changing and I think that we are reaching more people. I think more people are getting, um, they, they want to help the environment. And when you think of the environment, obviously it connects you to the birds and people yeah. are, there are more people out there getting out and, yeah. and trying to do a little bit to, to be better and, and enjoy the birds. I, th yeah. I think that's one thing I have noticed in 13 years. It's a people huge are change. Yeah, people are certainly looking for meaningful experiences yeah. with wildlife mm -hmm. more than I think that maybe they have been. Maybe that's driven by social media and putting a picture up, whatever. But you know, I mean, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what the motivation is. The, yeah. the, end, the end is a good thing. Correct. It's positive Completely for, agree. for our community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you read my mind? Because you just said like the exact same thing I could have said. Um, yeah, no, wow. Um, yeah, young, I mean, I, 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 I feel like females, we're taking over. <laughs> yeah, no, I, wow, yeah, I think it was, I think for me it was really an undergrad when I started to notice the shift when I wasn't the only girl and I wasn't the youngest. And so anyway, totally agree. Um, could you repeat the question, please? <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about how, how, you know, the last 50 years are about finding birds, identifying birds, tackling these yep. identification questions. The next 50 years is about recruiting yeah. people and bringing people into our community. How can we be yeah. better at that? Yeah. So, so one of the things I love most about birds and why I think they're so powerful is because they are the only, uh, only vertebrate right? So, so only, only vertebrate animal in the entire world that you can be anywhere in the world, any time of the day, any day of the year, and see. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can't say that about 
tigers. You can't say that about salamanders. Um, and you can't say that about fish. You, you, there's all these other animals that you can't say that about. But birds, you can see birds in the middle of the ocean. You can see birds in the middle of Washington, D.C., where I'm from. Um, and so, again, birds unite us. And I think that moving forward, if we can kind of open our minds and not put birding in a box, we don't need to all bird the same way. We don't need to all reach the same level of birding. We don't all need to do this or that with birding. If we can just realize that birds can be a connector for people to the natural world, I think that's where we would benefit, not just the birding community, but the world could benefit. Because if birds help get you outside more, that's fantastic. Even if you're not a birder, you're just outside, that's awesome. If birds make you consider doing more conservation even at your house. That's awesome. I think that if it, if we truly are going to focus on the birds, it's not about birding. It's just about how people are connecting with birds mm -hmm. and understanding that I went on a trip and I saw some birds. I'm not a birder, but that's awesome. Let's, let's include you. Let's mm -hmm. talk about the birds. Um, if you're a hardcore birder, then that's awesome too. I think it's it's broadening that definition and um, you know loosening up what what gets labeled really. ABA million ways to bird. Yep, exactly. Right exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was setting you up. I was setting you up. <laughs> you tee it up. I'm gonna knock it out of the park. <laughs> uh, well, I I agree completely with. All of that. I've always said that um, I think that the one of the main appeals of birding as a hobby is just that it it is an excuse to get outside. That it's it's the sort of socially acceptable or understandable reason to set your alarm for 5 a.m. and actually <laughs> go <laughs> outdoors <through>. even <laughs> yeah. if it's raining. But the reward is just being out there and seeing the sunrise and maybe you see a fox or you you see some birds, but it's really in the birding is kind of the hook that gets us out there. But the the real the fundamental appeal I think is just being outdoors and and interacting with nature. But I think back to your your question of how the ABA can get more help to get more people involved i think that birding is birding is it's local and it's about information mm -hmm. and getting that, that social media is that i think that's one of the reasons social media is so valuable so effective for birding is that it can be local information anytime anywhere and um, so the things that the aba does like the what's this bird facebook page that's fantastic um, and having um, just connecting people with local places local bird walks local local resources um, where they can actually get out and meet other birders um, or just sort of a Facebook um, or whatever social media connections to to put birders together that's uh, um, a great way to uh, get people yeah uh, using out. those those sort of online communities and kind of building them out and putting them out 
It's a great way. Um, I want to thank all three of you for being on this panel. Uh, you all had really wonderful things to say. Please give a hand to David, Jordan, and Eliana. Thank you so much. Can I get my credit music, John? You get to do the credits. Yeah, that's the stuff. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization. If you enjoy this or any of the free resources that the ABA provides, please join us. You can visit our booth downstairs anytime this week or talk to Liz, who's like over there. Um, if you really want to keep pretending that this is a podcast, you can even go to aba.org slash join. Um, we have a lot of people to thank this time around. Uh, Jason Gerard and Kim Coffin from Black Swamp Bird Observatory for starters. Um, executive producer of the podcast and president of the American Birding Association is Jeff Gordon. He loves that the biggest week is called Warbler Stock, but worries that that reference is a little dated. His suggestion, Threshella. Te technical production is by John Lowry, who's right over there. He'd rather reference all the ictrids you could find at the boardwalk, and he prefers the name Oriel Palooza. Thanks to Wendy Clark and David Mosier for the live music. They really feel the folk vibe here in Ohio. They've jointly suggested Binzaru and the Flyer Festival featuring J-Roll. You can find us online at ABA.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash and on Twitter at ABA. As far as I'm concerned, the biggest week is the most massive birding festival on the calendar, so we need to go big or go home. My suggestion, Birding Man, and we will end each festival in the parking lot of Mommy Bay with the symbolic torching of a giant wicker birder wrapped in old zip-off pants. <laughs> Questions and comments can come to podcast.ava.org or directly to me at the bar over there in about 10 minutes. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for coming. Go get some cake. <laughs>